Hello. Welcome back to the Show Up and Stay podcast. I'm your host, Deanne Knighton. Today's episode is short but full. It feels to me like less is more in this case. If possible, it is one I suggest that you listen to when seated, when you can feel your feet connected to the ground, or at least are able to pay attention to your body. It's an emotional episode, and if you don't feel like revisiting some ghosts of the past with me today, then maybe it might be good to opt out. Come back on a day when you're ready when you feel tethered to the earth, when you are in your body and rooted in your own sobriety. And let's begin. About a year ago, I asked the amazing Katie Hare, who does all the music for our show, to create a musical experience that would capture the emotion of sadness. And this is what she came up with. There's another version of this coming on later in the episode. It is impossible for me to imagine this podcast without Katie's gifts present. Katie, if you're listening, thank you as always for bringing the heartbeat to this show. It took me a long time to be able to differentiate sadness and depression. Uh, This was because sadness was not allowed to be on board for me. I just didn't have any time for her. I shoved her down so deep and then depression appeared and I always thought, well, that was sadness. I started to differentiate the two and I've also started to be okay with my emotions my sensitivities, my fears, my vulnerabilities. I am also learning what letting go actually means. I was pretty sure for many years that I had found some super efficient shortcut for all of this, but I was overconfident, as they would say. Today, I'm going to share something with you. This is the letter that I wrote in 2019, just about three months into treatment for substance use disorder. It's addressed to alcohol. It's my grief letter, as you would call it. This is still during a time when I wasn't 100% sure if I was ready to say goodbye to alcohol forever. I made a few edits just to ensure that what I'm putting out in the world is focused on telling my story and not anyone else's. But outside of that, I am reading it exactly as written. I have intentionally chosen to not edit out any of my own emotions as I read this to you. I want to ask you to pay special attention to yourself as you listen to it, in particular to your own reaction to my emotion. There's no wrong answer as to how you react to this. It's just simply an exercise in self-observation. This is a very vulnerable episode for me, for sure but I am completely comfortable with it. One of my most impactful moments in my treatment was reading this letter out loud to my group in therapy. The writing it is meaningful, for sure, but 
there's something even different about reading it. Something very powerful happens for me when I do it. There's two parts to this. First, the reading of the letter, and then my unfiltered reaction to reading the letter several years after writing it. Dear Alcohol, when I met you, I was dealing with my first significant life change. Separated from my family and on my own for the first time in my life, I was looking for a home and there was something intriguing about chasing nightlife. I had this vision in my head that it is where I belonged, yet I never lasted there. In the beginning, I used you to find my next launching point, and during those years, we were in accord. I took a break from you for about a year and focused on a greener, quote-unquote, lifestyle, spending countless evenings on my couch with my bong, wondering how I had once again fallen into a place that did not feel like home. Then I was single again, and through my later 20s, my life became a series of weekdays strung together by weekends when you and I could finally reunite. I met people that shared my desire for excess while still somehow managing to function in the world. I was in love with this idea. The thought of a world where I could indulge and still be supported was so welcomed. It meant I did not have to say goodbye to you in my life, and I could still maybe be a normal person somehow. Marriage happened, parties stopped, friends get married, and started their own families. And I was left reconciling my life decisions once again. Always restless, always chasing. You took at least 500 weekend days from me during the prime of my life. Laid up in bed with an ice pack curled over the toilet, waiting to feel better again so that I could return to the well that was poisoning me. I poured myself into my career, once again stringing together the weekdays until the weekend arrived and we could be together. I used you to survive the stress and anxiety of my work, my relationships, and my discontent. I thought about a family many times, But together, you and I had landed in a place that was not conducive to that choice. And if I'm really being honest, the thought of saying goodbye to you was scary for me. Nine months without you? And then what? Could I overcome this to be what a family would need? I was working so much. I just drove forward and used you for escape. Then reality sets in, and I realized that my work would not love me back. Deep down, I knew you wouldn't either, but I didn't know how to say goodbye. Every time I thought about acknowledging the toxicity of our relationship, I justified it as a reward for all my hard work and something that was keeping things together. I started noticing that it was different for me than other people. They would start the party, and I would always end it, either with a group or alone. As those around me had families to go home to, Our time together started to feel much darker, much more desperate and codependent. There was little fun or joy, and I was very sad and lonely. Eventually, a path presented itself that felt right, an escape from my own head and pain. The pills started, the lying and the stealing, and the only thing that would fix it was more pills. 
When I did not have the pills, I knew you were there, like a comfy pillow, and I could drink away the holes inside. I lost my dog, and you were there. The one thing in my life that I believed I really loved, because I was so broken and so numb. Things came to a head. I quit the pills, but only because I knew I had you. And wow, we reunited with a vengeance. No longer did I wait for my reward. I just started to take it whenever I needed it, whenever life was too much, and things kept getting darker. Drink at lunch during my workday? No problem. Show up to work hungover, barely functioning? Why not? They don't appreciate me anyway, right? You're the only one that cares. My marriage ended, and it was just you and I together again. But this time was very, very different. With only myself to check me, I was officially scared of myself and you. I felt the crossroads coming, but I avoided it for far too long. Now, here we are, parting ways, and I'm left with some questions. Were you ever going to love me back? Were you ever going to be enough? Were you going to take care of me when I was sick? Were you going to help me reach my own potential? Were you ever going to stop holding me back? I'm not better than you. I am you and you are me. But something has sparked within me. A desire to stop hiding and seize this next chance at life that I have. And I have finally realized that you cannot come with me. And the further apart we get, the more I realize this may have to be goodbye for good. Thank you for the good times and for shielding the pain when I was unable to face it. It's time to be strong now and I accept who I am, where I am, and why. I must own it. I don't blame you. I matched you every beat and I am fully responsible for the choices I have made. But I have places to go, and this time, you can't come. felt the pain again of the hangovers and the wasted time. My body reacted to that when I read that. And that's, you know, where regret lives and and a lot of lost years that I know I can't get back, but that I really, I have peace with it because of where I am now. It's hard to relive this, though. It's hard for me to think about how much alcohol influenced my decision to have a family. And then I was and am very moved by the end. I'm proud of myself. At that time, I was in a really bad place, but there still is a level of accountability, but also 
you know, it's, it's that thing that I talk about. It wasn't all my fault, but it is my responsibility and I'm owning it. There were times I maybe owned things a little too much and I have had to do some work to unravel some of that, but I've done that and, and there's still things that sort of live there, but it's definitely improved. I'm curious. I wonder how this might have made you feel listening to me read this. Maybe it's a little too much. I'm sorry if that's the case, but this is about as real as it gets. I feel like there's so much value, and and there has been value for me, not only as it relates to alcohol, but as it relates to any relationship that I have had or anything that I've had to say goodbye to, a big piece of my work has been to make sure that I focus on the totality of the situation and not only the ugly end or whatever made it end or the resentment that built. Because there's always something in the beginning that pulls us forward to something. And and with alcohol, there was some things that I found value in. The problem was is I just didn't have any other coping skills or tools to support myself through a lot of difficult times. And so I relied heavily and inappropriately on this chemical to soothe me. I think there's just a tremendous metaphor here about relationships with anything, um, anyone or anything in my last 42 years and reframing how I think about those things. You may find it weird for me to say thank you to alcohol, but to me, there's just a lot of peace in that. The reality of anything is that it's complicated, right? That the feelings are complicated. That's why it can be so hard to say goodbye. I mean, that's just a normal reality of our existence. But I think a lot of times I really wanted to be able to create a sense of decisiveness. And I would do that in my mind by building a narrative that helped me create that sense of decisiveness instead of sort of opening up and feeling all of it. I was able to focus on the negative and the anger and it certainly didn't serve me. So I think that's all I have to say for now. How'd you do? I'm going to leave you with some questions today. What stood out for you as you listened to me read this letter? Were you connected to the storytelling? Did you see or hear yourself in the story? Were you focused on that and kind of lingering there for the duration? When you heard my emotion, did it make you sad when you heard it? Did it make you uncomfortable? Did it make you want to run? Maybe turn off the podcast or kind of do that thing where you're still there, but check out. 
Did it make you feel embarrassed for me? Does it make you want to call me and give me some advice or fix it somehow? Something else I'm not thinking of? Whatever it is, just make a note of it. Get curious about what it may mean for your own personal work. How we connect to our pain is directly reflective of how we connect with the pain of others. To donate, please follow the link in the show notes or visit our website at showupandstay.org. If you're interested in collaboration or being a guest on the show, please send an email to info at showupandstay.org. Original music created and produced by the wickedly talented Katie Hare. <laughs>